Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is the podcast where we speak to a lot of unique and interesting characters from the comedy world that will help chase the comedy journey and do it in your own unique way. Now today's guest is a man who's been comedy for over a decade and a man who is who he's been in 50 years in comedy. <laughs> it's like Oh, it's it, 20 years around that. And he's, 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 he's not only is he a great comic that's been going for ages, but he is someone that can turn, is so skilled with photography that he can turn a Kenny geese into a swan. Please welcome the brilliant Steve Best. Hey, thank you. It's lovely. What a great introduction. <laughs> Clapping over my... Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Nice to be here. <laughs> Did you like the introduction? It was a good introduction. It was a good introduction. I'm I'm impressed. You've you've had practice. You how many how many podcasts have you done now? You've done quite a few though, haven't you? So, I've I've got about I think around 174 that are wow. uploaded, but I've got about if I look at some of the ones that I've deleted that I'm not happy with, as well. And that having because in the early days when you start something it goes all over the place and sometimes recordings go funny. Yeah. I'll probably say about fifteen or twenty more. So I've wow. probably done nearly two hundred. Over how many how many how many how long have you been going for? A couple of years? So I've been doing it since yeah, I think about since the pandemic hit. Okay. So yeah, yeah I've started it and someone um people recommend that I do the podcast. I don't know why, but they said to that to me when I talked about comedy or entertainment. And so I thought, why not doing the pandemic? Because I came from Goliath school. I had nothing else better to do. And I started from there. You and... from Goliath? Is that, is that how you started? That's kind of kind of clowny kind of stuff. No, I've, I've been doing comedy for quite a while, but I tried to do jokes and like do it how a lot of other comics do it. But a lot of the times when I get the laughs, it's not through a smart clever line or this and that it's just that i get laughs for the persona or something stupid that i've done on stage so people recommended that i do clowning and that's why i went to at first i did a clowning course in uh mcbarmfather and then i decided to do clowning in Goliath. that's interesting because what my people used to when i uh, did more stuff on stage people thought i was from the clowning tradition because my stuff is a lot of kind of mannerisms and speed and mucking around and props and quite clowny. So people thought I'd study clowning, which I haven't, or that I'd come from the street entertainment, you know, being on the street doing um, uh, kind of Covent Garden stuff. But it's not, yeah, it's quite weird. I never did that. But anyway, yeah, interesting. So you're a comic that's sort of, you'd say that you're a comic that's more sort of prop based. And you, you, you also get laughs more for your persona and doing funny things on stage. Kind of. But I mean, I, I started out in magic, actually. I, I was the um, Young Magician of the Year finalist um, a long, long time ago and did the final at the Polka Theatre in, in Wimbledon. And I was obsessed with magic. That was my big thing. I was really into magic, and which I do in the act a little bit still, but it's more kind of comedy props and magic. And then I, then I got obsessed. I get obsessed with things quite quickly. So the guitar, I, I studied the guitar like eight hours a day I used to get up and 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 um do my scale at six in the morning and do my scales and then and then do the whole day practicing the guitar so you know I was always into props so and then I kind of write jokes as well so a lot of what little one-liners lots of props bit of music bit of magic yeah so so it wasn't it, it, I was never defined as the um it's more of a kind of a, a um what's it called when they uh what's the act called it's not really a pure stand-up people would say um it, it, but 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 that was another that's another kind of topic really where people get a bit upset if you're not called a stand-up yeah but, you know it was stand-up still you know but anyway yeah it more of a speciality act i suppose yeah. oh yeah there's a lot of that in comedy there's a hell of a lot of that well less so i think when i started there was loads of weird and wonderful acts and and more kind of cabaret kind of style of things jugglers and and, and there's less it's more stand-up now than it's ever been i think um, there's less kind of weird and wonderful stuff going on. 
I've got a little thing to, I want to see what your thoughts are on this, but do you know, you obviously know that the balloon swallow trick, and I did that at one gig, and it went Hang terribly on, before well. you do that, I, I invented that. Oh! And people will, 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 will might, might go against me, but I invented that um, before I started uh, in, the, in the business. It's my, it's my I didn't actually, I didn't actually um, put it on the market. Someone in America did it a different way to me. It was me and my twin brother. We were in Spain when I was traveling around when I was 20, 20 or something like that. And he, I used to do kids, kids entertainment, like blue models and all this stuff. Oh. And it was actually my brother who did it my twin brother we were in a bar in a flamenco bar <laughs> and he got this blue and he started swallowing it and then i put it into my act 30, 30 years ago when i first started and it was stolen so many times after about i after i did about 10 years and there's a guy i think who i don't know what the book's called it's something like called geek magic and i am associated with um starting it that one that balloon swallow but anyway what's your story <laughs> oh i did not know that that's awesome that's yeah, yeah. brilliant mate yeah. uh, so i did that and i failed doing it uh and it got a huge bunch of laughs and i, I completely killed doing that gig and then um andy zap went to me and said this this that trick was done by yourself and uh what's the name becky becky fury <laughs> becky fury really so she must be she mostly didn't know i i'd i'd start because there's a there is what's really weird in stand-up comedy you don't take people's jokes. You know, if someone's done that joke before, you wouldn't do it. In magic, it's people just do the trick because they're sold on the market as magic tricks. So you can do them. There's no reason why you can't do them. When I started out, I did this thing called the Rocky Raccoon, which is a, a, a looks like a raccoon, but it's got a spring in it and you can make it move. So it looks like a real, real animal. And David Williamson, who's a magician, he was doing a routine and I wanted to do a routine and I didn't want to copy his, uh, but I had little bits from his routine, but then I made up some my, my own things in it. And I always did that with magic. If I, if I saw something, I thought that's great. I'd have to put my own slant on it, my own thing on it. Otherwise you're just buying a trick and doing it exactly the same. But in comedy, you're not allowed to do that, which is fair enough. You've got to write your own stuff, but magic, you can't invent stuff. But um, I think with a balloon swallow, you know, it looked like a bit of a bit of business. It wasn't quite a magic trick, although to the audience, it's amazing, isn't it? You're swallowing a balloon. Uh, and um, I mean, I added the bit later on where I swallow the balloon. And when I do the Elvis routine, where I, I pull out handkerchiefs from my bum, the balloon, <laughs> the balloon is on the end of that. So in actual fact, there is a, an ending to that. So I eat the balloon, you know, at the beginning of the act. And at the end of the act, I do a routine where I swallow handkerchiefs and then uh, as an Elvis thing, and I've opened up my butt and there's, I pull out the handkerchiefs from my butt, but there's also, <laughs> it's also a, a, you know, the balloon at the end of that. So it looks great. You know, it's really good. So people think there's a callback to that. So anyway, I can't remember what you're saying. So go say, so you mucked up your bit of it. No, but yeah, it got huge, huge laughs. And then effectively Andy's up to said, oh, this, this like mentioned that you, you guys both did it. And there may be a bit of, um, yeah, I thought I'd bring it up and have a chat and see, see about it because it's it was something I didn't know that you guys had done the trick because I saw it, as you said, that trick's being used so many times that you yeah. think it's just something that you can take and just use in your own act. And that's... Well, it's interesting. Is it like heckler, heckler put-down lines? Are, is, they, they seem they've come from somewhere, but yet they are still written stuff. And so people tend to use those, that are, but you wouldn't take someone else's joke. So... I'm, I'm okay because I feel that it's kind of a magic trick that that's the way it goes. I was a bit peeved at the beginning, like years ago when I saw someone else do it. And I thought, you know, I do that. You know, I do that on the circuit. And because you didn't know that, which is fine. You just thought it was a trick. But when you work with other comedians years ago and they know I did that and they started doing it, you think, well, that, you wouldn't do that to comedy. Why are you doing it to my... But then they're coming from the magic world, as I said, thinking, well, you know, you, it might have been bought and it's just one of those things. So it's a tough one. But um, I mean, there was a recent one where I found out that um, Joe Pasquale stole my Elvis routine. And um, that I got really pissed off with because he apparently did it on tour. And then I, people who might see him, see me at a club, Think that I've stolen it off him, and there was someone else 
um, from the Magic Circle, actually, who put it on YouTube and did the Elvis routine, you know, word for word or visual by visual that I did, and then said, oh, this is a tribute to Joe Pasquale. So he was kind of saying, I'm doing this act because I think Joe Pasquale does it so well. This is my tribute to Joe Pasquale. You think, hang on a second, it's, it's mine. I'm not even mentioned in this. You're stealing it from Joe Pasquale, who stole it from me. And then attributing mm. it to something, it's just like that. That's when I got really annoyed. Um, there's, there's such a big uh, thing with this, because I know there were uh, Darius Davies. He had an incident with yeah. Kay Kurd. And he, and I think I mentioned, I saw a Cure article by, um, what's his face, Leo Curse as well, saying that in comedy, that it's only the main joke thievery comes up at the bottom or at the very top of the circuit. And I think that that's from what yes, I see. Yes, I think, I think that's, I, that's, yes, as you're growing true. into the circuit, you're made really aware that that is not the right thing. To, you can't do that. I mean, I know of another story of a friend, a friend who that happened to them on the, who's kind of well known on the circuit. Uh, and um, the problem is also you get, you hear stories of people going on cruise ships, you know, a lot of, a lot of comedians doing cruise ships. And it seems because that's quite a mainstream kind of area to do stuff then they feel well they're on on the open seas i'm just gonna because you have to do a lot of material you must sometimes have to do three 30 minute sets on there and you know a lot of people to do really strong or, two, or three 45 minute sets which is quite a long time to do so they're taking they, they feel well they're on the boat i can just do some stuff that i think is really good um that someone else is no one will find out or you do a tour in australia no one's going to really find out but it's a small world really and people do find out and i'm surprised and i and also you've got people like pasquale on the mainstream circuit who i think have writers who go out to some of the comedy clubs and just steal stuff and then go to him and say look i've written this for you so he might be a bit innocent about it um although he's not because i know he saw me do on tele i did actually did on television before he did you know he knew i did it so um anyway so that's enough but yes what was your point um yeah i mean this is a bit you can let me know if you want to get rid of this bit or whatever but it's because it's going a bit of dark territory but i'm i'm the point is because i've heard differing views on it they i i my opinion is what you said there in terms of like jokes or the way you do comedy can be taken I spoke to some acts like yeah, the great Lynn Ruth Miller and some other comedians who say that you make your jokes funny, you make this funny. But I don't know if that's true because I see quite a few examples of where where that's not true, where someone can take, as you said, someone's idea. and. Yeah, it. no, I think it's I, I, the problem is you can't copyright jokes. I mean, I tried to even even my routine. I, 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 I actually put an invoice into him for some money for, to pay for the joke because people pay for jokes to be written for them so i said well you've taken that you pay me pay me for it. i can't do anything about it now you've used it here's an invoice and he, he just obviously didn't pay it but um i i think you can be a brilliant performer and not such a good writer but you you know on our circuit you've got to write your own stuff that's the whole point of it i, I and and, in the, and on the old older mainstream circuit you know people would confer in the dressing room you know what joke have you done what joke have you done and they're kind of they're great joke tellers you know that they're very good at telling jokes but none of them have kind of written anything so they're just working out who's done what on the bill and they go and do their jokes so that was kind of very much accepted on that circuit but it's not accepted on the circuit and i and i don't i don't think there's any room for for someone taking the joke without asking them or saying, can I pay you for this? And then I'll do it because I'm a bigger comedian now. I need material to be to do on television. There's no excuse for someone going on television and using someone else's material word for word. I mean, there's 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 been examples. I've done it with Sean Mia where I've written a joke. Um, uh, I took my orgasm. I took my, I had a, I took my orgasm to Christie's. Um, turns out it's fake. Um, something like, I can't remember what the joke was. I haven't done it for so long. But Sean Mio does something very, very similar. He went to an art gallery and there's a picture uh, 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 called or The Orgasm and it turned out it was fake. I mean, it, you know, it's a joke that can easily be written by two people without conferring. And I think that's fine. But when it's a routine that's kind of word for word and you think that's been stolen, then, then there's no excuse for that. Do you think that? 
Yeah, I, I don't agree with that. I, I, I feel like, yes, it, it, well, the whole point of all of this is to do your own thing and your own journey because that takes away the fun of it. It takes away everything, what, what's good about it. Well, that's the, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of running for fame thing where you, you, you know, you, you've been doing the circuit for five, six years and you've built up a really good 20 or, or if you're really prolific, you know, built up a really good hour show that you, and, and, then, and then, you know, you get on television, do this and this and this and this and that, and you just need material. So people have got no scruples and they'll just, you would have thought that on this circuit they have, they've got some kind of, uh, uh, not dignity is the right word, but but they understand what why we're doing this, you know. But a lot of people are, I think, so again, when I started years ago, we, we couldn't believe we could make a living out of doing this. We had such good fun and there's a load of really good characters. I think the, the nature of sometimes that the, the youngsters coming on are seeing people make it very much quicker. And, and, and it, you, they're not ready, I, to, to my mind, a lot of the time. They're just not ready. They're, they haven't got the chops. They're, they're, or they're ready for social media fame because they're very good at producing their you know, little one-minute, two-minute, three-minute little sketches. They're fantastic. But, if you, but to be a stand-up, you, you, you've got to really tread the boards, as they say, and, and, and do it for years and years and years and work out your character, work out your mannerisms, work out your jokes. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great journey, but... It, it, it's people see stuff happening very quickly to people and think they want that as well and you can't build up that kind of great material unless you are just innately something about you who are just geniuses in it you know um that that, that have got something very special there's very few of those the the thing that uh, there was a thought that i had yeah. let me think um yeah i i <sighs> What's my thoughts on all of this? Yeah, the question, you know, the question of it is, how do you deal with that? Because I mean, we did have a chat before the podcast, and like things aren't all shine like the Rocky say, like things are not like rainbow and roses or whatever. But the thing is, how do you deal with all of that crap? Because that goes on. How you know you go about doing it, but you got to prepare. What would be your advice in preparing for <laughs> that kind of crap? Preparing for stuff being stolen, preparing for fame, preparing for what? For for, for from people trying to take things from you and like doing your own thing. Well, if that happens. Well, there's there's been quite a few scuffles that I've seen that, that have happened over that over the over the years. But I I it's a tough one, isn't it? I I don't know if you are ever prepared because I think the nature of a lot of people who do comedy are very insecure and very sensitive pe people they're on the kind of verges of society in the, in the sense that they often can't really do much else and so you know the nature of why we do comedy the, the people who we are, are are sometimes can get very hurt very easily so I, it's very hard I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist to say well this is how you prepare for this because I really don't know you just got to take take it as it comes but um, I, I think generally you've got to just have faith in your creativity and do your thing and have your path and don't worry about and there's so much bitterness going on that even when i started of who made it and why they made it you know they either got better management or they were lucky right time the right place but i think the biggest biggest thing why people make it is because they work fucking hard i mean they are the people who are constantly working creating and doing stuff i mean you know so you, we talked about lee mack or something like that you know he he's got a writing there he wakes up and he goes and he's got personally writes with but he goes into his shed i think it is and then he just writes for the whole day you know in in the olden days i don't know if he's might have relaxed a bit now but i bet he hasn't he just he just constantly works someone like al murray someone like harry hill they're constantly working and writing and writing new shows and being creative not worrying about what's going on around them really i don't think someone like you know is our whatever you think about him now uh, uh her now is that um when you know starting out that they were just on this kind of path that it didn't really matter what was going on around them i bet you there was some worriness and insecurity really but i just think they were so kind of their mindset was so there that they were just you know so don't worry about all that stuff if you're really into it i mean i was in a way you know i think i was a really for a while a really good performer and i still can perform really nicely and fun and and, and have some great gigs, but I, you know, I was quite lazy in, in my material, um, as in I would have a really strong 20 and do that around, I mean, around the world, I went all over the place. 
but I, I never thought, I thought, you know, I just sat on the fact that I'm making a really nice living. You know, I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure about the fame thing. I don't think I, I would be great at the fame thing. I would crumble most probably because I find it quite hard, I think. Um, I, would, I would find it quite hard. I, you know. Without mentioning any names, I know that we, we spent, spent before the podcast, like I spoke about, Dave Thompson said that a lot of comics, or a lot of people that are successful, some of them, they can't cope with success. Have you seen any examples, don't say any names, but, <laughs> but have you seen any examples of situations where you feel that comics who, are, who have achieved that sort of thing, where it's really affected them and not in a good way? Um... No, not, I don't think I have really. I think there's different, you, I think there's different characters that go into it. And so, you, you know, I, I generally, gen, generally think that if you're a nice person and you get famous, you're still going to be that nice person. There's a few people who have become famous who aren't very nice people, but I've got a feeling that they weren't particularly nice anyway whatever you however you define nice but so but the fact is is that that have they been destroyed by it i'm not sure i mean you hear the stories in rock and roll of drink and drugs and all this stuff that destroys it but that's that i got a feeling that they might have gone that way anyway in in one sense one sense um so i you know i, I don't really mix around with really famous people um there's a few that i kind of you know friendly with and and it, and it, the way it affects you is you could get recognized all the time so you know people are trying so hard to become famous and then when you become famous trying so hard not to be recognized so there, there's that kind of side to it but th that's just how your how your life can change um in that sense i mean i've got my one of my best mates from school who who i started he's um a disabled um guy he's not a comedian really but he, we got into abnormally funny people he's now, he's now on Gogglebox um and he is being recognized it's really strange going out with him now because he's being recognized but he he's a he's a has dwarfism so he's a small person so he he would always be pointed at anyway um on the street because you know people would do that and people are a bit crap at that kind of thing but now he's being pointed at and recognized for being on television as that person he actually quite likes it because at least he's not being at least there's that is coming from a, a, a nice place now um so that's quite an interesting one of someone who's become famous you're getting famous much more recognizable um and he quite likes it um anyway yeah so i don't think i quite answered your question but i i i, I don't know enough to 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 know whether it's kind of really mucked up people yeah i mean you can see it in the media uh on in rock and roll and all that's you know rock and roll i sound like an old geezer there a bit of a boomer but that's you know a safe response <laughs> <laughs> no it's yeah. cool um no but you you but you've you sort of dabble in and out of comedy because i noticed that you did a gig with lollipops and i know that you do a lot of photography and like you speak to like mooch michaels who's like a I mean, he's a very successful comedy promoter with Voxel, like in five years, what he's built, bloody hell. <laughs> well, you should see what he's doing now. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, in all of those, those kind of people, I mean, you know, he's kind of, he's not, I, mean, I don't know if it's public yet, but so I'm not going to say it, but there, there's a massive, massive project that he's, he's hopefully going to sort out. And, um, you know, you need those people on both sides. Don't you? you need people who are comedians, but you need promoters like that as well. You know, look at Hot Water. You know that 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 kind of franchise, that not franchise, but you know that kind of what they've done. You know, they, they were the first people who started kind of really recording what was going on on stage and putting out on social media and made stars out of people who hadn't done television. You talk about Paul Smith and people like that. You know that that can sell out stadiums without having to go on Mock the Week or any of that stuff. So. So I think that the the the, the everything's that's what's really changing. You know, getting to understand how to promote stuff, PR stuff. And this is what Mooch is doing, I think, as well. He's kind of trying to understand what he's you know the comedy comedy club, comedy club scene. Was hot water? We're, we're we're very good at that. And and in a way, someone like Top Secret have done really well. And and sometimes you look at the comedy store, which was the comedy club, and it, it you know is it falling behind slightly? Ah, uh, I. Yes, 
yeah, that you might be right. Yeah. I don't know if it is, but the fact is, is they, they took a bit more time to be a bit more diverse with their bills. Someone like Top Secret understood the younger audience. I mean, maybe it's a slightly different audience as well, because Top Secret kind of go for the studenty audience that are in in London, and you know they had a different financial proposition on how they let people, you know, pound to get in or whatever like that. And he had the bar. I mean, the comedy store's got the bar. Yeah, but you know it's a different kind of uh, uh, business model, I think, and and it kind of it, you know that's the newer way of doing it. You know, same with hot water. And you think, well, comedy store are kind of doing it now, but you know, did they 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 should have had the head start in a way, but um, you know, I don't know. Did I spoke to um, the the notorious, the the very famous PJ? Ah, I started out with PJ. PJ gave me loads of gigs in. Uh, I can't believe you've got you. You're still as a youngster that you know PJ. How do you know PJ? Well, I saw him at a couple of open mics, and uh, he he did uh, one of my gigs, which was a heckler's gig. <laughs> Jeez. And uh, he tells me about different stories. Well, I don't want to say, but he talked about like the comedy calf and all of these other sort of things. And like the, he's what he says that in terms of comedy clubs in the london there isn't really as many big sort of comedy like comedy focused venues as there are in perhaps new york or other places and he mentioned with the comedy cap that well i don't want to say too much what he said to me because it was yeah what, what what was your thoughts on like the comedy cap as whole because that used to be a big um that's why i started it, i started with people like tim vine and all those people um, at the comedy cafe. It it was it was um, it was brilliant. I mean, they were really good. I know that's why I think it's slightly changed. It it was a great place. And upstairs, you would have a little uh, a bar area where you know people like Joe Brand and people like that, and Kitson and and Jimmy Carr would just hang out and and, and meet after gigs. So that would be the meeting place. Um, if you were doing gigs around London, you'd end up at the comedy cafe upstairs, um, getting smashed. Um, I think it was much more. Um, what people th think it was with the you know drink and drugs and all that stuff I think it's very much cleaner now which is fine you know that's how things are you know it, 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 but there was a lot of goings on even the comedy store backstage I mean you know there was some stories that I won't say but it was mad it was it was funny um, and it was anarchic and 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 and, and um, but even in that there were people who understood their path in the comedy thing and just went went for it, had their path, and that was all kind of part of it. But for for a lot of us, we kind of hanker and hang on to those days, and they're gone. But that was a time and place that was fine. And and um, but the comedy cab was 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 one of the you know that was downstairs initially, uh, and they moved upstairs later on, and then they closed down. But that was the place. It was brilliant, Rivington Street, and and it was that area was really kind of um quite run down and now it's kind of very hip isn't it that that area um used to get people from the offices in suits going there all pissed up and and coked out and all this stuff and so it was quite a, it was quite a tough gig but it was also um there was a lot of kind of friendships made there i, I think it i think a lot of the clubs even like jonglers that people slag off jonglers it it was a place where you'd be away for thursday friday saturday and see comedians you hadn't seen for six months or a year, and then go, go out for breakfast, go out for see films, do the gig in the evening, get get slaughtered and all this stuff, and and have a really good time. And there's a few of those clubs around where you spend more than one night at a club. There are some, you know, but it's it, it's a different kind of circuit, absolutely. Hmm. What's it? But PJ used to PJ was always um. A bit of a character even when i when i was there i know i i, I didn't know that he's still kind of around he used to hang out at ba ballon banana a bit as well because he's from that area but he used to run a lot of clubs in croydon and places like that and dodgy, dodgy clubs as well but fine he was all right though he was fair you know he let you and also in my in my time you know this is where it's really changed is that you wouldn't have open spot nights you'd have or you'd have one or two maybe one at the king's head or something like that but it would be professional nights, like even PJ's one were professional comedians on. Um, and in that, you'd have an open spot. So the open spot will be at a professional night. 
And it's very hard for, for open spots now to come on for the open spot circuit to go on to a professional because there's so many people doing it and there's so many clubs just doing that or bringers. We, I mean, we never had bringers. I mean, that was just bizarre. I mean, I, I you know, that's just been the thing. There's a thought that I've had from it because you learn a lot when you play all those big clubs or those difficult rooms or all these different things across the country. But if it's so hard to gain access to those gigs, does that hamper the comedian's ability to get better? Because you need those, because yeah, it's so because hard to get those. It can do. It can do. I think that, that there are clubs that, are, that there are, even the open spot nights are, are fine because, you know, there are some punters in the audience. I think it's very hard when you end up at a, 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 an open spot night and they're just open spots in the audience. And, and it's just, it, you know, you're playing... It's, it's not the right audience, really. I mean, it's good to just get stage time and just mouth out what you want to say so you don't mumble up your words and, and all that stuff. But ultimately, you need to play a club that has open spots there, but also a general public who, who are, gonna, are just normal people <laughs> because comedians are just very kind of in their heads, I think, a lot of the time. Um, I don't know how competitive now. I mean, I'm not part of that circuit at all, so... Is there a lot of, is it, is it hard? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's funny some of the stuff that I do see. Because, yeah. I mean, um, I remember doing a few competitions here and there. And this is not to be funny or anything, but there is a lot of the ones that go through and that make in the competition. They're bloody good. But in some of the instances I've seen where the comic completely stormed it very well like i've seen it quite a few times and they didn't go through and I, i've i've been looking at it and they're like this guy was but like miles better than everyone on, on the bill and why have you not put him through but obviously they what people want to make money it's about at the end of the day people want power and they want success and they want to make money and i think that's that that plays a big part in it as well but i've been always been slightly baffled by that i mean i've done some photography at some of these kind of com competitions like the i think it was the english comedian of the year not the british comedian of the year because that was a, that's a different thing i think there's a lot of pro, pros in that but the english comedian of the year and i remember seeing the judges and they're proper you know proper critics you know the uh, who you i mean i don't have to name the names but if i say you know some big websites that were there and some other people who were who were the judges and I was looking at them and, and again I was saying the same as you is that some of the people who who absolutely stormed it didn't even get placed and the person some of the people who kind of got placed and I thought I, I as a comedian and as a photographer as a comedian watching it I you know comedy is subjective but if you hear an audience really laughing yeah that isn't subjective <laughs> that is objective that, that, that they are on mass that so but so i think the people the powers lot the powers that be are not going on sometimes what is funny or laughter but going on something else i don't know what that is sometimes um and but that's kind of the edinburgh festival as well to some extent is it allows people to do longer shows that don't have to be but funny funny but could be interesting and have a narrative but the problem is I never really kind of did Edinburgh like that, uh, but I think that um, the comedy circuit is stand-up comedy, and there are places for a different kind of comedy or narrative thing, but just by sheer volume of laughs, and you see someone doing that and then not even getting placed, you think some, there's a different kind of criteria going on, which I, I don't quite know. I'm out of that now. It's fine, but, you know, it's, it's a tough one because that could make you quite angry as a comedian. I think I don't understand that but again it doesn't matter in one way you just carry on doing your stuff but people and I think that's why social media at the moment is so good yes, because yes. if you're really funny and you've got something although it's a different kind of uh, a medium and a, and a technique you can still do your work and have fun and and make lots of money without having to worry about the powers that be the old powers that be yeah and is but you you're now on different sides of the fence and like things have changed now and you're, you're also getting into sort of social media yourself with the the, the 
podcast and what 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 where where do you see yourself now because you are sort of you dabble in and out of comedy but you also do a lot of photography yeah like, what think... got you into that and what what where do you see yourself now going okay into, okay very quickly then bit short potted history so yes yeah, so i was doing stand up and then i i um uh had a little camera with me uh and then in 2014 i bought out this little book comedy snapshot where i i just and the idea came from a few people bob mills mentioned it to me and all this stuff i was just taking a little snapshot of someone backstage that i was working with uh, and there's some really famous people in there joe brandley mac uh, you know sarah millick and all these people that i gig with and i just done a little snapshot of them and then i asked them for a joke and four or five facts about themselves that are not you can't find in wikipedia but there's full of comedians like myself who weren't famous but so so i got like 450 comedians uh, and then with all a one-liner joke and four or five facts alan davies all those people and so that came out comedy snapshot and then i did another one called joker face uh, a couple of years later which had got 500 comedians there's about a thousand comedians in these two little books uh comedy snapshot and joker face uh, uh and that kind of and then i i they weren't brilliant photography but they were just little snapshots and they weren't portraits but they were portraits they were very uh kind of uh candid shots so they, i wasn't trying to get proper lighting or all this stuff they were just in the moment which i really loved um and then that's when i started really the photography took off as in i really wanted to capture um and document the comedy circuit that that i that's my life that's all i've ever done and no one's done that before. They've done it for rock and roll. They've done it for theatre. You know, you've got all the kind of Rolling Stone stuff and, and, and you know, David Bailey from the time. And even now there's lots of rock, rock documentation, you know, documentation from, from, of photography, not in comedy because photographers aren't allowed into that. You just don't get access. And so because I've got access to all these, and, I don't, you know, front stage, fine, there's been a few of that, but very few backstage because... As a comedian, people, you know, people like Harry Hill, who wrote the introduction to this fine art book that I did, Comedians. You, you, you just, you know, I've got this little little camera that that I'm they I'm one of them. So they treat me as a comedian, not as a photographer. So and I think I've developed a really good eye for the photography work side of things. So it's become quite arty as well. So I've got some really nice backstage shots um, and also on stage shots where they kind of shot from the dressing room or shot from the side of the stage rather than front of stage so that's really enthused and excited me for the last kind of seven eight nine ten years um and so i so i'm still doing a bit of stand-up but it's 99 percent photography and one percent comedy and beforehand it was 99 percent comedy one percent photography so it's really changed and and I, I think if I put as much effort and work into my stand-up as I've done to my photography, then I might be further up the line in the comedy world. But I, I think I've, I, I I've been so enthused about this because it really hasn't been done. It is a real great documentation of, of something that is ever-changing and it, it might not be the same in 10 years. You know, you might not have that, that backstage proper live circuit that we've got. It might, all it might be all AI by then. That is what some comics have said to me in terms of like, because there's still a lot of Zoom gigs going on. Yeah, I think I think that you just can't, and I don't think AI or anything. You look at the, the ABBA ABBA thing. I haven't been to it, but it's meant you know the the, the hologram thing um, of ABBA. That is music that is done by not AI, but you know what I mean. It's that kind of feeling of it's live but they're not there. And I, I still think people go there and think, oh, wow, it's a great spectacle, but it's just not the same as seeing mistakes or real stuff going on in music and comedy. So I don't think AI or that stuff will ever, and the Zoom gigs are never as good. They just, I think in Magic, you could do it, Zoom gigs, they, they're very good because you can play with the medium, but comedy, you just need that liveness about it. And I, and I don't think it, it I can't see it ever changing that that the the enjoyment from live stuff compared to what you know you look you must have you know you're quite a comedy geek aren't you of, of watching yeah, you know I'd everything say so. you know I, I met up with Mooch as I said the other day and there were two comedians there young you know young guys um, who have they're just naming names that I just haven't heard of who are on Netflix on specials on YouTube you know getting their stuff out there and it's just you know they were saying. 
you know, talking about comedy, but it's always better to see it live, isn't it? I mean, it, there's no question, is there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I had, um, maybe this isn't a nice, I had one thing from one comic who, um, I, I watched Lewis C.K. and he was incredible live. Yeah. And I had one comic who, um, they put a post up saying, oh, I'm doing a spot at the Comedy Store Gong Show. And I, I did badly at these two gigs I did. And then he, then he mentioned, I've seen clips of me doing comedy and they've been just about as funny as Louis C.K. And then when I looked at that, I thought, are you bloody stupid or something? Like, like, like it's a completely different thing. When you see someone up live, it's a completely different thing. Louis C.K. is incredible. And like when when I saw you do, you can't compare it. It's a completely different thing. You have to be there and see how good they are. And then when I saw him do it, he didn't do very well. And it, it, I don't know, that offended me in some ways when someone said something like that. And that's... Do you get involved then? Because I, 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 I'm very careful on social media because I think it, it is a bloody, it's a bear pit, isn't it? I mean... I agree. I, I think I think seeing someone like well, whatever you think of Louis C.K. and lots of people do think different things about him, but you know if you go back before the before what happened and you see some of his stuff, although I've never seen him live, but I've seen some of his specials. You know he's a he's a brilliant stand-up. You know he's a he's, his his kind of performance is is brilliant. Well, what, whatever you think about the subject and all, you know the the matter, but and then after that, blah blah, but. Um, it's very funny and interesting seeing new acts slag off, <laughs> it, it, you know, slag off people who are who have made their living and made a, a hugely famous from being just a stand-up and then comparing it to themselves, kind of thing, whatever. I mean, I don't get involved in those kind of discussions on Facebook, so I know, or whatever, on because uh, it. What's the point? You know, it can annoy you internally, and you think fine, you know, but what's the point of getting into a debate yeah. about it? No, I didn't get involved in a debate about it, but I saw it and like I, I, I spoke to this comic itself and he's been going for quite a while as well. And he um, the thing that annoyed me, because when I saw him on stage, he didn't do too well. But the thing is, when often when I speak to a pro comic who's been going years or they're very good, if I ask them advice or I talk to them, like when I'm on the podcast, they can break things in quite a bit of detail and go into quite detail and it can make a lot of logical sense. Yeah. When I went and asked him about something just to see if he knew what he just gave me a load of bollocks that didn't make any sense and wasn't like detailed or analytical. Yeah. And that's why I didn't get involved in any of the debates, but I was, as you said, I got annoyed a bit internally because I, I, yeah. But I, also, I think it's a good, I think what you did was great. Actually, actually talk to someone live, face to face, because you can get a much better. You know, you know, even through emails, the nuance of, of words can really, you know, someone can read it in a completely different way of how you actually intended it. So I think usually when you're face to face with someone and, and not even in an argument, just saying, what do you mean by that? You know, I, you know, I don't understand what you're saying. Can you explain it to me? It's much better face to face than it is on any kind of uh, other way of doing it. So so so, you know, you know, that's good for you to do that. Um, but, yeah, I think that. I think, uh, and also, uh, Shabby Corsani wrote a really great piece, I think it was in The Guardian, about this guy, who, he's allowed to make mistakes, he's allowed to say those things. Yeah. And and I, I quite like, I don't think the idea of cancelling or, or... Yeah, or, yeah, of course. Yeah, so so I I, I, I think that, whatever you think of the guy, he might be, he might not be, not be a nice person in a way, but the fact is, is that that you're allowed to say these things, and, and, and we're, yeah. we're in a dangerous position where we're not even allowed to voice opinions um that are not you know you're allowed to as a comedian you're allowed to make these mistakes and, yeah. and it's a shame that that's kind of getting curtailed maybe slightly what happened with alfie brown is was, was was bloody ridiculous did you know what happened there yeah i kind of that looked at ridiculous. i saw it though i don't know i don't know him and i haven't seen his stuff but uh, but yes I, I i take your point i kind of it people take things very much out of context and that's that's where it all starts what going wrong for the argument but yeah what happened what what do you think the well this will get me maybe in a bit of trouble to other people but it's, a lot of it's about intent and i feel look he's he was trying stuff out and trying to be funny at the end of the day and it didn't work that was it it's not it's it's it, you have to try that's things exactly, out you have that's to try exactly things what out. Shappy, 
yeah, exactly what Shafi was saying. It, 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 I think that, that I mean, I'm not relating it to alpha, but it's kind of that. Is is you're trying out stuff. The audience are going to. It's and and you said the right word. It's intent, isn't it? I I always think it's intention. And if that person is a horrible, misogynistic, racist person, then that's where their intent is. But but if you're not, and you're just trying to work out what is funny and where 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 you go off on a tangent, where you take the audience and then pull them back, blah, 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 and you're playing with words and material and ideas, and your intent is not to, uh, not to, uh, I'm not gonna say offend, because not to be misogynist or racist, blah, blah, or all the ists, then I think you should be allowed to say these things and make a mistake. It's all right, you don't jump on these people. And um, the problem is I think in this day and age, we've created this thing where there's a lot of trigger words where you're not even actually listening to what's being said or where it's being taken and you're just getting offended and there's steve hughes um a brilliant comedian um i, I went to south africa with him years ago and he does that really brilliant routine on being offended you're allowed to be offended what's going to happen to you you know you're, you're you know you're, I've, I was offended and I, I got leprosy because I was offended. You know, you're not going to get hurt. You might be offended, but you're not, it's not, you're allowed to be offended. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. Offended. He said, I'm offended by boy bands, you know, and he, he, he does a great routine. Look him up, Steve Hughes. Brilliant. Really lovely thing on the back being offended. But yeah. No, it's, it's your opinion. But do, why, why should you have the power just because you don't like something? doesn't mean you should have the power to completely ruin someone like that yeah do you think do you think um has he been ruined or has he come out the other end i don't uh, it will affect him a little bit but i think in a couple of months or a few months or so he'll be all right yeah yeah people I are think. too people are too easily offended without really kind of listening what's going on and they've got their agenda they're in their bubble it, you know um I mean, it's, you look at Twitter, the Twitter feed, and you just you just think this. I mean, I get really angry with some of the politicians at the moment, the Conservatives, and and and, and you just think, what are you doing? <laughs> there is just so much double speak and, and horrible words and, and anger and all this stuff, and it's it's there's no there's no debate, there's no there's nothing going on that that anyway, yeah. So. With all the things you mentioned, you've, you've have you heard of the person called Larry King in the states? Yeah, that interviewer. Have you seen any of his stuff? Or I haven't seen his stuff, but you know he's uh, an oldish guy now, isn't he, Larry King? Well, he's dead now, but I, oh, I okay. watched. Uh, <laughs> no, but... He's very old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, he, there was an interview of him, I think, on Mark Maron, and he's interviewed some of the some bad people, dodgy people. Right. And when people ask some questions about it, when he interviews that person, that person doesn't see themselves as a villain. They see it more as survival or they're doing things that they think are right. Not, but they don't see themselves as a villain a lot of the times when they do those things. How much... I mean, it's very difficult. If someone's being a dickhead to you or do something that hurts you or upsets you, you're going to see them as a prick. But how much would you say is some of the things that go on in comedy people need to, at the end of the day, people need to survive and they need to make money and they need to make the most of things. But how much of it is, don't be an arsehole. How, what do you think is the balance of that? Because you've got to do what works and survives at the end of the day. But you've always, But what's the balance in terms of doing things in a right way? Or do you think that's a load of fallacy with some of the stuff that goes on? Well, I just I I think if you're a nice, good person, your your moral compass is 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 set right. And if you're is we're talking about you know people getting famous who are arseholes to begin with, they're going to be extra extra arseholes when they make it famous. So I I I I think that people who strive and and tr trample on people on the way up are those kind of people you know that you're not gonna you know you have those people in all walks of life whether it's comedy or in the office politics and and, and environment so i don't think it's it's it's, it's specific to comedians whether you're not a very nice person it's just i i just think it, there's an added element to it that the fact that people go into comedy 
is were were a bit damaged anyway to start with. A lot of people who go into into being a fireman or doing that they're not necessarily as damaged sometimes as comedians to begin with. But there are all I think morally, if you're a good person, then why would you be a wanker to someone who who has do you know what I mean? It's like it just it's it's just human nature of who you are that that makes you that kind of person, surely. Because the some of the what I was some of the things that I've seen, like in terms of I've seen a couple of other mics here and there, there'd be like two people in the audience and I'll see like comedians trying to get money out of the promoter. Like when there's the, the person who's run the gig hasn't even made any money and they made a big loss or like that's I've seen some instances where it's the other way where I feel people are unrealistic in their expectations and seeing that that person also needs to survive and do things well as well. Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it is. That's it, what I was getting at. Yeah. Okay. So it's its own little ecosystem, isn't it? Is is that is that um, we've got we have got a problem with with the whole industry. I don't know if it's the same entertainment industry, but certainly with comedy is that when I started, you know, you genres were paying 200 quid or 210 pounds a night for doing a gig in Leeds. And they were paying for your hotel in a really nice hotel, the Radisson or whatever it was, the Queens, you know, wherever it was, they were paying for that. And you would do Thursday, Friday, sometimes two on a Saturday, and then you could do a gig in at the Hi-Fi Club in Leeds in between. This was 20 odd years ago. And the money has gone down. It hasn't gone up. And the cost of living and inflation is... is so in today's day, that gig would be 500 quid, 400 quid or something like that, you know, double. But it's, it's gone down. It's, you know, first of all, they're not... Don't exist, those clubs. <clears throat> and then... Um, that you know you might get 150 quid to, to to a night or something like that so the money's kind of gone down and everything else has gone up but the nature of what people want why they want to do comedy is they want to earn the megabits right at the top so people undercut each other and clubs do the same as well so but also clubs sometimes can't afford to pay that so you've got some clubs yeah. have got two or three people in the audience four people or it's a door split or blah 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 but you know, when I started, you had door split clubs, but they were professional clubs and the audience would come in and pay, you know, five or something like that to come in and it was split. But, you know, you look at something like the model of Top Secret, where it's a pound to come in and the guy is taking the bar. And 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 in a way, he sh those kind of, some of those clubs should be paying the comedians more. But he knows and other people know who run clubs who are making a fortune and a lot of clubs aren't making a fortune, but they some of the clubs that are, know that comedians would do it forever because it's that it's top secret it is a club you want to play so it, it, it's it, on their path when as i said before when i was on the circuit we were making a living by doing those clubs people expect people's expectations who come into the comedy now know that they can't make a living by doing those clubs so, so they, they, it's, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing so the money's not going to go up because they're happy to do those gigs for for 80 quid 50 quid 40 quid um, and there's people who, who like me who've been going for a long, long time and see that thing. I, I, I can't afford to drive to Cardiff for 150 quid or 180 quid. I was getting that, I was getting 200 quid, 210 quid 20 years ago. What, why, why? And they're not giving me a hotel now and blah, blah, blah. And it just perpetuates this kind of thing where it's a, a race to the bottom, really, with the, with, with the thought that the, the, the so, so there, there is a clash between people who run gigs and comedians because. Um, it, it, it just doesn't make sense financially for anybody at the moment, except for the ones who are making a huge amount of money on the clubs. And a lot of comics don't want to do anything with them because they have the big clubs have so much power. Besides, and they want to play those clubs, so they'll do it. They'll do it for free. And for, for the fact is that some of these clubs will get in a famous person every so often to try out new material. And, you know, everything about it is exciting and all this stuff. And, the, you know, the new, you know, Jack Whitehall might turn up and just want to try out 10 minutes. And then, you know, uh, you want to be associated with that. And it's all that kind of kind of showbiz stuff. But it's not good if you want to try and earn a living out of doing the club. You just can't do it. You know? And that's why 
it, it, that happened in America way before us. You know, you, you would expect to, you know, have a, a three drink minimum or whatever like that, or bring people into these places in New York. Um, and the clubs would be making a fortune. And this is like Edinburgh in a way. Everybody's making a fortune except for the, for the performers. And it still seems to be the case now. When I went over there, there was way very. It's a lot of nearly all the gigs were like that. Yeah. And in 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 their clubs, they're even more expensive than the ones here because you have to get two drinks and a ticket. And yeah, no, totally. But they had that model, and we I thought we were exempt from that because there was there was a kind of a fairness about it, and also in the states, the stakes were slightly were much higher in the sense that if you made it, in, you know, it was a stepping stone for a lot of comedians to get into films. And you know you can make millions when you get into films, you know. But but over in over here in, in, in the UK is that is that it was always regarded as a profession just to be a stand-up. I don't think that there was that kind of mentality in the states just to be. There were a few, but generally it was a stepping stone to get into films a lot of the time. Um, here it never was like that. We had a different kind of tradition. Tradition, I think. But the, there are a few of our comics that do get it into films, and you see oh, yeah, them a they little do. bit. Oh, well, actually, they do now, and I think it's it, we've become much more Americanized in that side of things as well, of 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 what it's about. But there was a real pure feeling of being a stand-up, and this is what you did, and it was quite sexy. And 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 you know, if you went into a a, a social setting, you know, with other people, and people found out you were a stand-up, people go, Fuck, you know, because. And everybody's doing it now. You know, there's all these comedy courses. Everybody wants to go uh, doing stand They see it everywhere. And I think the internet changed that, which is fine. You know, that's how people, things evolve. But there's so much more stand-up now. And, you know, when I was going, there's four channels on television. And, you you um, you know, there's no, no streaming and there was no internet as such. And and uh, you you kind of booked your stuff um, by phone. It, it, it was, you know, there's kind of... Uh, and it was a better... It was, it was a bet, you had to see stuff live. And the stuff you did at the comedy store, those people would be chosen to do some, very few people get chosen to do you know, stuff on television because there was not that many platforms to do it. So it was a really different kind of circuit. Mm. And more interesting for other people to say, wow, you're a stand-up. Now it's like so much around, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's funny that you said all these things because there's so many American comics coming here, <laughs> and, the, and yeah, we had that before. We had, I mean, um, there, you know, there were a lot. Of, there were a few people who from America who realised that the comedy circuit in the UK at the time was actually more vibrant and more commercially a bit better for them because that they they were they were ten years advanced ahead of us on, on this kind of bringers and. And and is stepping stone for film, and loads of people will make it. So they, they realised the UK circuit was a way to make have a really good living. So there were quite a few Canadians and Americans coming over doing doing the circuit and stayed. You know, I I spoke to um, an Indian comic, and I'm going to release the episode this Sunday. Yeah. Um, he said, in one of the biggest clubs in uh, Mumbai, they have to pay six hundred and fifty pounds have a film a 20 minute set in that club and that club's made a lot of famous people in india on tv and comedy and all that but they have to pay 650 pounds to do 20 minutes in that club to get a film set and there's a big queue of people waiting to go in there he said if he tried to get into that club now he would have to wait months before he got in to, to have your set filmed yeah and to do a set there oh but you wouldn't have to pay 650 just to do a set It'd be to no, do both, a both. Oh, really? That's fucked, isn't it? <laughs> it's like... Yes, yes. And he also told me that some guy who got arrested in India for making fun of Hinduism is now a famous Indian comic. And I said to him, you're going to get a lot of our cancelled comics coming over to India then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean... It's dodgy all over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think, you know, all these people coming out and saying, oh, I, I've been cancelled, I can't say what I want to... I mean, that you, you, you basically... You, there's so many platforms where you can say what you want to say. It, 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 you know, that kind of idea of being cancelled, I and mean, I won't name names, but it's, it does make me kind of think, well, hang on, you're, you're saying it. You're saying it now. You're not being cancelled. You know, 
uh, I think there was a guys who went over to on the Joe Rogan show and, and criticizing the for being you just you're not being cancelled you're just you're using that as maybe they are I don't know I don't I don't particularly I mean I interviewed Arthur Smith and I talked to him about what was going on and he really didn't want to get involved because you know your you know your words will take be taken out of context and then suddenly you're the villain kind of thing and 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 um you, you know I, I just think that ultimately you've got your path just be creative enjoy what you're doing and if you're good then you will get an audience i mean it was Stuart lee i think was saying all you need is ten thousand people who who will buy a ticket who love you i mean he's got considerably more people than that and you can make a you know really good living out of your fan base really so you know don't worry about what's going on around you just just create i mean people spend too much time arguing stuff rather than just writing stuff and that's where i'm at at the moment to be honest is it that's, no that that is that that is effectively what i'm what i'm where i'm at the moment just just focusing on my own thing yeah building my own thing and just focusing and being good and making people laugh and building the audience that yeah that, well, that, and, that. and elements i can control the other th stuff is in you know, I, I see them as, you know, if I could play top two, it's good to develop and see how your stuff ranks against other people and to learn and get better. But in terms of building whatever, I feel that being a master controlling the things I can control. That's all I'm focused on at the moment. That's true. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, I, you've got to do that. But, the, you know, there are problems within the whole circuit in the sense that, you know, there are little cliques and, and, and how do you yeah. get into to actually get the stage time. But that's why I think, social media has taken off in the sense we'll just do it is i mean we've got the i was talking to rialino about it and you know in our day you would have to go out and, and tread the boards but you've got all these people who are producers that film their stuff they know how to cut stuff they know how to edit and they know how to do funny stuff as well so you know the, you, you've got to start learning lots more you know, bits around your craft really that that's why i mean going into photography I always always thought well you know how I'm a stand-up comedian. That's what I am. But then I think, well, actually, you know, it sounds very um, kind of arty-farty, but you don't have to pigeonhole yourself. You can be a creative. You can be a performer. You can do lots of different things. And I think, you know, photography is an extension of your creative ability to see things. You know, you're, that, you know it was really weird getting into the photography world because I've never been crit critiqued by the art world. And, 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 and I don't know what they think of my photography. And when I went into the, this gallery and this the first person, this guy Quentin at the Observatory Photography Gallery where my exhibition is, he was the first person in that world who said, you've really got something, you've got an eye for it. It's not because, you know, and we kind of discussed what it was. And it, sometimes it's very hard to define. It's like with comedy, you know, some people are innately funny and they understand timing without going on a comedy course. I never did any comedy courses and yet, I've got, you know, I feel that I've got a funny bone and other people I think have got funny bones. I think, well, they are, they've got something. And the same with photography or the, the art world or anything else. You know, what is it that makes someone better than someone else? Um, there is something innately in there, which means you can't not, you can teach people te the technicalities of stand-up or the technicalities of, of photography, the camera, how shutter speed and uh, aperture and all this stuff and how timing is in, in comedy and how to write a joke. There's something, you know, you've got to have something else, I think, as well. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've been bloody bloody all, all, all this out. No? <laughs> yeah. um, for, for anyone that's sort of listening now and they want to find out about you, and we spoke about it in an email, but if they want to find out about you and your projects, how do they find out about it? And where do they go? I think the best for me is my website, because then, then it spins off to all my other bits. But... So stevebest.com, www.stevebest.com. <laughs> and then, you know, so I've got my kind of YouTube channel that, that's that's off on that Steve Best shoots, but I think that's the best base. Yeah, find out everything there. So I've got trying to do my next, my sequel to my my comedians book, my big art book, uh, uh, Comedians 2. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm putting the pictures together now. So that's, that's, that's all on there as well. Yeah. Okay. Shall I do the rest of the episode in the Arnold Schwarzenegger voice? <laughs> Why is that, is that what it sounded like just now? <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> uh, no. Um, okay, cool. 
So guys, if you enjoyed the episode, you know where to find out about Steve Best. He's related to George Best. I have been, I have been, um, uh, uh, and also Pete Best from the Beatles, the uh, the ex Beatles. Um, I've been, I've been put brought on stage with both of those, George Best and Pete. Best. <laughs> oh, I t- it's funny with bloody Pete Best, isn't it? He was in the band, and they got rid of him because he got all the girls. <laughs> there was something going on, actually. Yeah. I, I don't know for sure. I, uh, I'm yeah. not a, I don't know all the facts and figures, but there was something going on that he was a good-looking guy. Yeah, <laughs> and the, uh, yeah. I don't. I think uh, it, it, it was an okay drum. I don't think it was a. But you fancy that missing out on the Beatles. Bloody hell. Uh, Well, guys, I hope you've enjoyed Steve Best. You know where to go. Give this episode a five-star view everywhere you see it. And most importantly, subscribe. And I'll see you in the next episode.